Welcome to Help from Future Self. What's happening, Archons? Welcome to another episode of Help from Future Self. It's the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. I am Alex, but some know me as Scuzzy Gruen, and I am joined, blessed today, with three of my Keyforge friends. We've got the Wheeling Keyforger, Rick. Hey, y'all. We've got SC Steel. Hi, hi. And of course, Coach Boulevard Blake. Hey, what's going on? What did I do to get so lucky to have so many Keyforge friends around me and be able to talk about Keyforge with those friends? I must have been very good in a past life, guys. Aww. <laughs> You're just a swell guy. Um, really fun episode that we have lined up today. I know we've had like some some more, I think, meaty topics uh, over the last little while, really digging in on certain things in and around the game, uh, especially with our sort of hot topic, uh, hot take podcast last week. But we figured, why not just get the whole crew around the table and play a little one of our old school games, a little something we like to call over under, where we pick a card from a set and we talk about whether or not that card has been overperforming or underperforming for us. Um, I think generally speaking that uh, everybody has picked some really interesting cards and we're going to have some really interesting things to say about it um, as we have been experiencing the Dark Tidings meta. Now, just before we get started, I really feel that unlike other sets over the past little while, there has been no immediate thing that has jumped out to me as being like, well, this is clearly the most powerful or the best thing in the set. It feels like there's a really good balance across Dark Tidings. W would you guys agree or disagree with that statement? Well, for me, uh, one of the cards I'm going to be talking about, for me, I think is one of the best cards that I've seen this far so it's pretty balanced but there are I think cards that are far better than others I actually can agree with you that I don't think any card is is crazy overpowered but there are times when I think I'm pulling off something really cool with like a lot of combos or doing something really new and so it's still really fun to play but it doesn't actually accelerate me to more my, my win condition faster yeah, I, I'm I'm with Sydney on that one. I nothing really stands out. There's a couple that that I do think they seem that way, but they have a sort of um, balance within it as well. Yeah, it it just feels like um you know like when when worlds collide drop, people were instantly like dinos and star alliance. That is the most important thing in this set. Another thing developed over time, and you know AOA certainly had its like big standout things right from the jump but i still feel like dark tidings is really fluid in in terms of what kind of decks you're seeing and what kind of decks people are playing competitively which is interesting and makes conversations like this where everybody sort of talks a little bit about cards they think are great or cards they think are less good a little more interesting to me i wonder if um the reason that people don't like dark tidings as much in a competitive environment is because it doesn't have those standout like wild things like mass mutation had dav there's the obvious stuff that exists in worlds collide aoa had the genka heart of the forest like do you think that could be a reason why people kind of feel this way because there isn't that like standout like whoa we need this this archetype of a deck i absolutely think that could be a, a, a reason for that yeah I think that they might have been hoping that certain things in Unfathomable were those, and then they haven't turned out to be. Mm. Yeah. 
Like, I, I remember thinking when Maelstrom, when I first saw Maelstrom, it's like, oh, it's like this sets Quixel, but it's so much harder to abuse Maelstrom than it is Quixel or other, like, Heart of the Forest or other sort of, like, game-warping artifacts. It, it really does feel like it just sort of makes the game into a crazy funhouse, which can be fun and makes games more interesting, but is not competitive in the way that some of those other archetypes were. Why don't we get things started with our first over-under. Rick, tell us about a card that has been overperforming or underperforming and why. Well, actually, my first card is one of the ones that I was just speaking about where I, I myself think this is one of the best action cards that I have seen so far. It's from Unfathomable Brain Drain. One ember when you play it. Action, play, look at your opponent's hand, choose a card from it, and put it on top of their deck. I have been in so many situations where I need to remove something from their hand because I'm sure that it is in their hand where it can affect me in a bad way. I, I, pull, I end up pulling Brain Drain every time, and I'm able to take that card away from their hand, and I can just skate by. Yes, this is a very much over for me. I think that's a, a perfect example, Rick, of why Dark Tidings is a balanced set because it's not that you're taking a card and you're getting rid of it and it's going to the discard. You're actually just delaying the use of it, which I feel like is the trend of Unfathomable. It does things to annoy and delay your opponent. You're not actually creating removal in the sense that it's gone, but you're you're stalling to allow you to, to get that advantage of time and advancing your own gameplay, which I think is really interesting because I don't think that has existed aside from the like reap hate in terms of stunning before, which is really fascinating. I also think that card is fantastic when you have something to combo it with. So like if you end up having Maelstrom, which is an action that puts each creature on top of its owner's deck, or if you have Bubbles, a creature that you play, you put an enemy creature on top of its owner's deck, you are comboing to like make that card go deeper and deeper into how far they have to draw to get to it. And so that card mm. can be like stunningly amazing in, in both those other cards are in Unfathomable as well. So like all of those can be played in one turn. That's Plus, really you get, great. like, that knowledge of your opponent's hand. Like, that can't be understated. And being able to choose, like, even if there's no obvious target, just looking and going, what can I do to make their next turn less good? Like, what card could I take away that's going to make them have a cruddier hand? Just so that, like, maybe instead of getting to play three cards, they only get to play two. Plus, like, you now know everything they have in their hand. It's so good. Excellent one, Rick. And I, I think a very good, like stealth over performer in that it seems good when you first see it and the more you play it the more you're like oh yeah absolutely sydney hit us up with a card all right so i have one from logos and it is an action called final analysis it says play destroy each creature each player draws a card for each creature they control that was destroyed this way and this has actually been an underperformer for me that may have been because my expectations were so incredibly high but it turns out that like you like you've been saying all along Blake the the balance has just been so incredibly powerful that when my opponent actually gets the amount of cards they're going to get from me destroying their board it hasn't helped me as much to use this as a board clear mm, interesting yeah because I've I use it as a like it's a secondary thing it being a board clear and it's like okay things are really I'm in dire straits like I don't have a choice I need to get rid of their board because 
usually if a board is that big, it's either one house is dominating or there is like a, a nice balance where they can call any house and they're getting a lot of ember. So by taking that off the table, especially one dominant house, it's you're you're again buying yourself time, but you're right, they do get the card advantage. But Logos has blessed us with a lot of ways that you can use that to your own advantage. I think it kind of creates a race in the game. And depending if you have the key combo pieces of like um, Honored Kesis or Dataforge, if you don't yeah. have those, then then the card takes on a different sort of meaning where I think you look for an earlier play when you can drop a bunch of creatures and then pull them up and, and then just get rid of them to draw. Because there's... I would say that um, aside from a couple Logos creatures, a lot of creatures in Logos are not as essential as we saw in Dark Tidings. Like their ability once they hit the board is like you're okay if you let them go for the card advantage. So I think there is a much more interesting element to the play of this card. I think my big issue with it is that as a desperation board clear, it feels bad. Like if my opponent has eight creatures out and I've got one creature or two creatures and they're just walloping me, taking away their board but letting them draw eight cards feels horrible um, because it just puts them at another advantage. Like I've taken away their board, but I've given them such a huge next turn and possibly next couple of turns. Um, Like The combos are really where this one's at. Uh, Blake, hit us up with a card. So my card is an action card from Shadows. It's called Kerwallop, and it has the ability of deal one damage to each creature, gain one ember for each creature destroyed this way. Folks, this one is an under for me. I find that more often than not, I'm just putting one damage on all my creatures. I'm very rarely getting to a point where it's yielding the actual ember gain that I'm hoping it would. So it seems to just be either a ward popper or a way to put some damage for some other things to take effect. Now, obviously, their Cleansing Wave was reprinted, which is interesting because it could combo in that way, but that's like a two-turn combo. And a lot of times, armor exists so strongly in this set. I feel that this card just kind of doesn't really cut the mustard at the end of the day. So it's it's been a little bit of an under, but I think there will be situations where you can get a little more out of it. I can see why it's an under. The fact that it only does one damage to everything and you gain an amber only if creatures are destroyed. But you're right. There are things where it's super useful to like pop wards or otherwise maybe get behind um, taunts in some ways. But yeah, it it looks like it wouldn't be a card that is as exciting as it should be. Mm-hmm. For my first card, I want to talk about one of my absolute favorites from this set. It's a common action in Star Alliance. You probably all know it quite well. Grand Alliance Council play. Choose a creature of each house. Destroy each creature not chosen. There are so many ways that you can engineer this to your advantage if you're a smart player. So it's really fantastic if somebody establishes one of those boards that's like, I just have six dinos out and I'm not calling any other houses. I'm just calling my dinos every turn or my Star Alliance guys every turn or my Shadows guys every turn because it takes out all of those. It really does force your opponent to try and vary up their board if they're smart because they don't want Grand Alliance Council coming along and really decimating them, especially not when you're the one playing Grand Alliance. Council 
and you can engineer your board in such a way that it's less of a, a, a damage to you than it is to your opponent. Um, and the fact that it's common means that you tend to see it more than once, I find, in a lot of decks. I think I've got multiple decks in which it appears two, and I think in one case even three times. So the threat is always there. I thought this would be a pretty good board clear, but it has been a lifesaver in so many scenarios for me. And I like the balance of it too, right? Like it really does depend on you as a player to look at your deck, look at your board, think about whether or not you've seen your Grand Alliance Council yet. Know that if it comes up and you don't have a good or varied board that you're not going to be able to play it without messing yourself over. Um, it, it just encourages like better play on my part as a player um, and really punishes people who don't look out for it and really over rely on one house. So I think it's a terrific card just as a board clear mechanically, but I also think that it encourages styles of play that I'm interested in both for myself and for my opponents. So big overperformer for me. Grand Alliance Council rules. I think arguably the best removal like board clear in the in the set. Ooh. I would probably agree with you on that one. Let's take it back around another time. Rick, what's your second card? My second card is another action from Sorian this time, Ostracize. Play lose one ember if you do purge a creature. I just love the ability to get rid of something that's problematic. Get rid of it. Don't think about it anymore. Just continue on with your game. So it's that overperformance that you're looking at? Yep, definitely. I think Purge is a really great addition to like not just discard or get rid of. It's Purge. So that creature is gone forever. That's a pretty great effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Back in the day, we had a conversation about like what is an amber worth to you? An amber is definitely worth taking out a problem creature to me. Like, you know, worst case scenario... You lose an amber, you take out a not great creature, whatever, you know, uh, unless you, that you're in a dire situation where you really needed that amber to forge or whatever, you know, it's it's not the not the wor- like the best play in the universe. But there's so many scenarios, Rick, you're absolutely right, where it's just like, I need to take out this creature. Yep. I need it off the board and I will pay the one amber to make sure that happens right now, you know. Maybe that creature's already sitting on some amber. Maybe they've got like five amber captured on them and you're doing that. Like, that's a no-brainer. Sydney, what you got next? All right. So sticking with my house logos, I uh, actually picked the creature Chronophage and it reads, your opponent's creatures and artifacts gain Omega. So this for me has been an underperformer. So I'm just going to go to Omega for just a sec. So on Chronophage, it defines it as after they play that card and the current step. So I thought this was going to be one of those cards we were talking about earlier. One of those, like, if you have this card, it's an overpowered, incredibly crazy, like your opponent has no way to deal with it situation. And although that can possibly be true sometimes, there are situations in which this card takes multiple turns to set up to deal with it actually doesn't cripple the opponent as much as you might think for two reasons. One is this does read creatures and artifacts. So not like upgrades are anything special, but if you have any actions that can deal with chronophage, anything that can do three, then it's a little less effective because they have their whole turn to follow. But the other thing is, Omega is very specific. It's upon play. So if this creature comes into your hand, 
halfway or further through the game, they likely already have a board, even artifacts on the board, that can do something about this creature. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Sydney. I, I got my first one this past week. And I think aside from it being your opening play, it's it's going to have little to no effect. But if you can get it as like a turn one, you're going first, you can really disrupt your opponent's game plan and, and set them back a few turns having to uh, deal with this. Yeah, this would definitely be like a hard mulligan kind of card because if you get mm-hmm. it later, it is actually worse. But if you get it earlier, it's so much better. I have one deck with Chronophage, but my, the problem that I have with the with the deck and the card is I can't protect it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it just gets killed totally. as soon as you put it out. That's the problem, yeah. I, I've been crippled by it in a few games, but it hasn't been as much of a problem as I thought that it was going to be when I first read it. It's more of a nuisance than anything else, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Forces you to deal with it, which is good, right? Like that introduces mm-hmm. interesting things into the game, but uh, it's something you can't leave unchecked. But, like, you have so many ways that you could potentially deal with it. Um, Blake, what's your next card? So my next card is an action card from Untamed. And uh, it is called Infighting. And it says, each creature deals damage equal to to its power to its right neighbor. And it has the flavor text, establishing dominance within the group appears to be largely pointless. Dr. (laughs) Escotero. preparing for our next quiz show. <laughs> um, this card for me has been really overperforming. I think it's uh, it's really interesting in terms of what it does because it's not a direct board clear, but it makes you as the player preparing for it have to really think about, okay, how am I placing my creatures? Uh, it's a great combo with Key Frog. It lets you play Key Frog and pop it right away. So you got to make sure you're setting things up properly with that regard. And I just think it's a real big overperformer for me. Um, one caveat to this card, though, is that when you play it on TCO, you see the cards both the same. But if you're playing IRL, you actually, the context doesn't mean the same because the right would be, is it your opponent's creatures right or the way you view it right and that's this is the one question that i have like always been putting out there like Uh, what does it mean by right is it your vantage point of what a right creature is or the actual right of that creature as it is by the player who played it from reading it it sounds like it would be the neighbor the creature's right neighbor but to be fair like from either direction it has a right yeah that's what I'm saying. So it's whose whose perspective are you taking? Is it the creature's perspective and the player who played it? Or is it you as the active player, anything creature and th- like the way you're vantaging? Because when you look at it on TCO, it's it's a it's a moot point because you both see everything exactly the same way. But if you were to play the same thing IRL, it's not the same way. So like if you want to if you knew one of your creatures was gonna die, so you're like, oh, I'm gonna swing it into this to give it a little bit extra damage so that when the infighting happens. That sort of thing. Personally, I think it's active player, but I I could be completely totally wrong on that. Yes, yeah, so let's let's pose this to uh, to the listeners and hear some clarification, because uh, I I've always wondered about that. Is I assume that it actually is like because when we refer to right and left within that, it's it's always like your opponent with, with the way they view it because they're placing those creatures. Because you look at Pan Paka Anga and Pan Paka Jaga, and they have that same language. So Good point. I assume it's actually not you as the player playing the card and the actual layout of the cards by the player who owns those cards. 
So uh, th- that makes it interesting if you're trying to plot some damage. You got to flip things around and look at it more closely. As an overperformer, though, I completely agree. This has just made so many of my plays with Untamed incredibly powerful because I know I have it in my deck. So in the back of my mind, in every single turn, just casually, I know that I'm putting creatures in an order where the creature to their right is more powerful than them. And so it doesn't look like I'm doing anything, whether, but I'm just weirdly, oddly playing things either to the left or to the right where I otherwise wouldn't care as much. And then when infighting comes into play and all of my creatures, maybe one or two don't survive because equal power level or something like that, but all of my creatures end up staying on my board because I've been planning for it this whole time. It is such an incredibly powerful mm, board clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, for my next card, let's go over to House Shadows to talk about a uh, Shadows common action. This one's called Loot or Pillage. Play, choose one, steal one, or a friendly creature captures three. I mean, this is just the the essence of a low-key overperformer for me. Um, you see it and you're like, oh, that's pretty good. Like, there's nothing bad about that card. Like, the only scenario in which you wouldn't want to play it is uh, if your opponent has no amber for you to steal or capture. But what I've actually found is having that flexibility makes this such a good utility bit of amber control. So if it's just a regular turn, my opponent isn't anywhere close to being able to forge, uh, then just steal one straight up. Great, perfect. Steal one is fantastic. That is still like just, I'm getting an amber. My opponent's losing an amber. That is a great effect any way you want to slice it. A vanilla steal one is still one of like the best baseline effects that you can get in Keyforge. But having the ability to capture three makes for actually really good clutch amber control. And the fact that this happens at common means that you could have multiples of this card, which means that there's been a couple of times when I've managed to save my bacon by throwing these into my archive. And then when my opponent has been ready to forge that final key, I've pulled my archive, captured six amber onto creatures on my side of the board, and then been able to sneak away into the victory. So Looter Pillage isn't like the most flashy or impressive stealer capture card, but I find having the option to do either means that it has been a real utility player in the decks that I've had it in. Yeah, this thing has been really good for me too. I've been playing it mostly when it comes into my hand, simply because the steal or the capture, whenever it ends up being relevant is is the right time to play it. So I, I think that it's been the best at, for me, at just simply removing amber from my opponent. I use it usually as a straight steal, but I, I can see where the flexibility of taking three amber from the opponent, even if temporarily, is so awesome. Yeah, I think it's a great card. I love I love these um, these proposition cards that they put now where it's, you get to choose A or B, and depending on what the needs are of the situation, you can call on the card to do whichever one makes most sense to you obviously i think there's some where you you use one over the other way more than others but i just love that this is a new thing that they've introduced into the game mm-hmm. rick tell me about the last card that you picked today the last card i have is another saurian action swallow hole play only at the tide is high play choose two creatures purge the chosen creature with the lowest power and give plus one power counters equal to its power to the other chosen creature. Again, that's, this is a, a, a card that I play on the opponent, and if there's problem creatures, swallow whole to get rid of them. 
Question for you, Rick. Do you find that you often have to raise the tide to get this effect to go off? Because that's the one downside I see to it. It's a great card and I love it too. And it's taking care of a lot of problem creatures for me. But I find that, you know, not infrequently, it's like, damn it, I'm going to have to eat three chains to get this off. Sometimes, but often, oftentimes I can plan it ahead a little bit where I already have the tide from the turn before. So cool. It's a good one. Sydney. Tell us about your last card. All right. So this is actually a reprint, but has been such an overperformer for me. I, I had to add it. This is Cleansing Wave from Sanctum. It's actually funny, like you mentioned it previously. Um, it's action, play, heal one damage from each creature, gain an amber for each creature healed this way. I have found that unlike any other set that Cleansing Wave has been in, it's simply been so effective. The amount of creatures I have had with a small amount of damage, whether that's from an action like Kerwallop or fighting from other um, creatures or infighting even, leaving some creatures on my board damaged, Cleansing Wave has simply just gotten so much more opportunity to go off and get me a lot of amber, especially when I know I have it in my deck and can bring the heat just to know that I'm going to heal it up later. I just, this is such an overperformer for me in this specific set. I completely agree with you, Sydney. I feel like Sanctum in general, this set got some reprints that were a little underwhelming in past sets, and they they just really ramped up their potency and making them viable as cards to use. And I think Cleansing Wave, Cleansing Wave has always been good, but but you really see the utility in this set. I'm for for personally, I'm really enjoying Sanctum this set. Yeah, I didn't really enjoy them before, but I'm really liking them now. Yeah, totally Absolutely. agree kind of makes cleansing wave so good is that this is you know once again a very board based set but it's also a board based set where like there's less it it feels like creatures like live on the board but also absorb damage over time like i do find that they, you end up with sort of like these scenarios in which you get just like lots and lots of 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 creatures that can stick around for a while but then get little bits of damage sprinkled all over them and that's really what makes this such a such a great card in this context Blake, what's your last card, overperformer or underperformer? Well, my last card somehow falls in the middle, I feel like. And it is a unfathomable creature. It's got six power. It goes by the name Flame Gill Enforcer. And it says, after your opponent raises the tide, enrage Flame Gill Enforcer. And it has an action ability of capture three ember. This card, the reason why I say is, is I'm not quite sure where it fits. For me, because I, I go back and forth, especially as we've been doing this episode, is because it feels like it's an underperformer because you almost never get to use the capture ability. It's just unless your opponent literally forgets, you never get to use it. But at the same time, it creates the proposition where your opponent is having to take chains to make sure it gets enraged or else they know you could just take them off check and capture three ember. So I'm kind of in this in-between state of it underperforms in the sense it does not get to really use its action ability of capture three ember, but it overperforms in being a disruption on the board that your opponent has to take into consideration and possibly take chains as a result. So I find it really interesting in that regard. I also think it's a perfect contradiction that it actually enrages Flamegill Enforcer because as a creature with captured Amber on it, you obviously don't want to fight into anything. So mm -hmm. it's possible that after 
uh, doing the action once or twice and your opponent's like, just stop it. Stop taking Ember from me. I'm going to raise the tide to make this happen. You then have a basically a useless card because you can maybe fight once or twice into creatures without killing Flamegill Enforcer, but the weaker that it is, the more likely it is the opponent can take it off the board. So it's a it's a pretty good balance of a card. Mm, yeah, that's the theme it seems we've had had today. <laughs> Let's talk about a card, my final pick, that is not a well-balanced card. I actually think it's a really crummy design. This might be my most hated creature since Tolus. And people who've been longtime listeners of this podcast know how much I hate Tolus, stupid spider. Let's talk <laughs> about a creature in shadows. It's called Monty Bank, one power, play. You may exalt Monty Bank up to two times. Action, steal one amber for each amber on Monty Bank. If you choose ever to exalt Monty you are literally giving away Amber to your opponent. Like, Absolutely. He's a one power creature. He is so easy to take off the board. So you have to one exalt like once or twice Monty when he gets onto the board. Then you have to rely on Monty surviving for a turn before you can use his action. So assuming that he lives for that turn, you get to get off an action once you might steal one, but that Amber is still sitting on top of Monty. <laughs> so your opponent could kill him the following turn and then get their Amber back potentially up to two. So essentially, unless you have some really good foolproof way of keeping a hold of Mo uh, keeping Monty like protected, like some kind of warding mechanism or something else like that, it's basically just giving away a card. It's been such a huge underperformer for me. I didn't think much of it, but thought, well, maybe the set will play in such a way that it makes sense to take that risk. It doesn't. It doesn't ever. I never, ever exalt him. I never see anybody exalt him because it's such a terrible value proposition on every level. No, I, I completely I think agree. Best case scenario is you happen to have a creature in shadows the turn after you've played it that has a capture pip, and then you get to put it on Monty and then use it right away. That's best case scenario. Yeah, maybe you like can do some shenanigans to get an extra steal out of it by getting some some extra amber on him or something. Yeah, I I've never 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 found a way to use them. I don't like them that much either, but I haven't used them that much either because I've only got one or two copies. Yeah, Monty stinks. Get out of here. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen it, but Monty's evil twin is even worse. I don't even know how that's feasible. Okay. Monty's okay. evil twin is play. You must exalt two times. He has the same action, but he's elusive. Big I think that elusive. <laughs> I think that elusive gives maybe the teensiest edge where if in an edge case, it might be worth doing if you have some sort of maybe protection or otherwise, but elusive isn't, isn't discountable. But again, you're probably not going to exalt him. I mean, like, yeah, sure. There's probably some isolated cases where you could get like, you know, some, some, something out of that. Um, like, but I'm not worried necessarily about creatures fighting into Monty. I'm worried about, like, a single damage pip. <laughs> that is all that it takes to take out Monty. Ugh. True facts. Why couldn't he be, like, you know, like, at least two power or, like, two power one armor or something? Like, that would make it so much more interesting. It would make give people a reason to actually roll the dice on him. There must be some reason, like, contesting issues occurred. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm with you. One way or the other, those are all of our over and under performers. What an interesting set this has been. I know we talked a little bit about Dark Tidings not being as beloved 
from a competitive standpoint, at least from what we're seeing right now, but I'm still having a lot of fun playing it. It feels like games are very involved. It feels like there's a lot going on. It feels like there's a lot of interesting decisions to make while you're playing, and I really appreciate that. That's why I play Keyforge. The thrill of victory is nice, but just having fun games where lots of things happen and lots of unexpected interactions happen is certainly one of the things that draws me to the game. Speaking of unexpected uh, uh, interactions, I believe in the titular segment Help from Future Self. Rick, you wanted to tell us about one such unexpected interaction. Yeah, I was playing a game online with Frank, a friend of ours from our local, and I had a couple of creatures out and I had shoulder aid. I had never seen this interaction before. He went, Frank went ahead and put static charge on my shoulder id, ended his turn, and then flipped out small. And I was like, what What happened? And he goes, you just stole to- two from me because I put your static charge, my static charge on your shoulder id, so it couldn't fight, and it doesn't fight, so it had to steal. And I'm like, ah, note to self, do not put sh- static charge on shoulder id. We actually had a little conversation about this before the before the podcast because both Blake and I were like, wait, how does that work? But we checked the wording and yeah, basically that creature gains do damage to its opponents and the wording of Shadow Id uh, says whenever Shadow Id would deal damage, steal. So you can even do it on your own Shadow Id if you want, as long as you're willing to like damage the creatures that are sitting to either side of it. Man, that's, that's brutal. Love mm, that yeah, combo. Wow. Totally also works with infighting. Mm, really cool. Sick. All right. Uh, We have one winner left to announce in our great Keyforge giveaway. This has been a tremendous success. Uh, I've been really impressed. Sydney, who is our eighth and final winner for this round of the Keyforge giveaway? Congratulations to Ben Daniels. I hope you and the people in your local Discord have a great time bringing in people to Keyforge. And I also have had a fantastic time doing this giveaway. I would love to thank the Keyforge community, but also the help from Future Self listeners. You all are incredible people. You do an incredible job welcoming the community and just being fantastic individuals who are bringing people into this game and I am very lucky that I got to participate in this with you all to uh, hand out these decks and play Keyforge. Absolutely tremendous. Thank you so much, Sydney, for organizing that giveaway. Um, yeah, thanks, Sydney. You know, that that was your your brainchild, your baby. And man, it was just such a tremendous success. And so thank you thank so you. very, very much from from all of the <laughs> rest of us. Um all right. Uh, you can, of course, find us on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. You can find me at Scuzzy Gruen on Instagram and on Twitter and on The Crucible, most of all. Rick, where can they find you? On Twitter at The Wheeling Key Forger, on The Crucible as Rickster78. And right now I'm in three leagues, so I've got busy weeks ahead. Uh, the Australian League, ABR, and Code 9. Nice. Oh, wow. Sydney, where can they find you? What do you got going on? I am SC Steel on TCO and Discord, but I do actually have something going on. I'm very excited to announce that we are doing, well, over at Archon's Corner, which I am 
love those guys and I've been helping them out with this a lot. Um, we are doing a live event that we are hoping can be on the level of vault tours for a fan run event. It's in-person competitive play with actual cash prizes. So this is going to be July 23rd through 25th in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And we have three different events set up for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, a three deck Archon survival on Friday, a sealed mass mutation on Saturday and a team event on Sunday. So we are working really hard to bring live in-person competitive Keyforge to the community. And we think we've put something together that is exceptional. So I'm really excited to bring more information over the course of the coming weeks about this event. Wicked. So cool to hear about that. And I'm looking forward to getting more details as they emerge. Blake, where can they find you? And what do you got going on? You can find me on Twitter at Boulevard Blake. That's B-L-V-D Blake, as well as on my YouTube channel where I stream every Thursday. And uh, tonight, this Thursday, I'm streaming something special or I'm testing out a fan-made Keyforge adventure. So come tune in to that. And then on Saturday, I'll be doing my regular decks that I've opened this past week kind of stream. And I'm pretty excited. It looks like a really cool and well thought out game. So if you're interested in that, come tune in tonight if you're listening today on Thursday. Absolutely tremendous. You'll have to give us an update on the podcast next week about that. It has been such a blast. Love having the whole gang here, but we got to go. Until next time, stay forward.